Welcome to the Cultures of Soul podcast. I am your host, at least for today, and my name is Uchenna Ikonde. You may know me from the Comb and Razor sound system, or perhaps you might remember me from the guest spot I did on this podcast over a year ago. I, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I had hoped to do a few more stints here on the podcast since then, but, uh, you know, 2020 turned out to be uh, a pretty crazy year. And 2021 seems to be turning out to be only marginally less crazy. But, you know, I, I guess this is the world that we live in now and we got to make the best of it. But one thing that we still have and will always have is music. Soul music, you know, like what we're listening to now. It's a tune called I Want Your Body by Evans Pyramid. Some of you might have heard this Boston-based group, Cultures of Soul, put out a fantastic compilation of their work a few years ago, and you should definitely check that out if you have not. But, um, you know, I would say Evans Pyramid is not so much a group as it is a musical project centered around the multi-instrumentalist Andre Evans. Or rather, I should say Andre Ivans, as he is quick to remind you, is the proper pronunciation of his name. That is, you know, of his name, not the group name. So his name is Ivans, but the band is Evans Pyramid. So um, Evans Pyramid is one of the main names that come up when you think about Boston's soul, along with Maurice Starr, um, Michael Johnson, Yvette Kaysen. Hawkeye, Andre Evans is thought of as something like Boston's answer to Prince. And like the man from Minneapolis, Andre Evans can be extremely uh, enigmatic. So it's, it's really, not a lot of people really know his story. And we're going to try to break down that story of his career here. So uh, just listen to this. go back to the early 1970s. Little Anthony and the Imperials are in the midst of a residency in Las Vegas. Now, the band is best known for the 1958 doo-wop hit Tears on My Pillow, but also enjoyed um, a string of moderate pop soul hits um, into the mid-1960s. The mid now, after the social, political, and musical upheavals of the 60s, America is in a nostalgic mood, yearning for the pop music of a simpler, more innocent era. And the doo-wop revival has built a demand for groups like Sha Na Na, The Platters, and Little Anthony and the Imperials to embark upon lucrative tours and supper club stints in Vegas. Right now, Little Anthony is performing with a lush string section supplementing his five-piece band. And the drummer in that band 
is a young man named Andre Evans. Sorry, Andre Evans. And he is on his first really big showbiz gig. And he hates it. Young and you know, and um, the same words have all the violins and all you know all that orchestration. On the rock, we've got uh, Make Arthur's Park and uh, and all these other tunes, you know, uh, by Frank Sinatra and all these other. And some of that stuff bored me. Some of that stuff bored me. Evans is weary of the polite middle of the road repertoire of the rigidly regimented performance, the cues that require him to hit the snare and cymbals in coordination with the Imperial's dance steps, the fines that result when any of those cues are missed. What he's dreaming of playing is the new sound emerging from the underground, mixing rock and soul and jazz and gospel into a sticky stew called funk. Letting loose, the cathartic release of emotions, was something that was central to Evans's relationship with music, dating back to his formative years in New York, when discovering music rescued him from the trauma of an unhappy childhood. You see, Andre Evans had been rejected at birth by his biological mother. I was born... Uh... I was one of those unwanted kids. When I was born, my biological mother didn't want me. So I, when I came in the world, I came in the world very sick. I was on a desperate, dying situation. And my mother, that I know as my mother, adopted me. But she also happened to be my biological mother's best friend. She did what she could do. But I, one thing, I, I was always... I was on so much medication. I had a big table of medication. I, I, I can, I'll always remember that. All I, I was always taking medication. But I started uh, the kindergarten school, whatever, and immediately I got uh, pulled towards music. I think it was the idea that we had to sing all those songs and um when it came to actually being introduced to what this instrument was and what that instrument was, uh, I was always impatient. I, I needed to learn fast. So they started a program for kindergarten kids uh, where you could take an instrument home for the weekend. And uh, that's how it all started uh, because 
My mother, she couldn't afford to buy no instruments. So my only access was that was every week I just exchange an instrument, get with the radio, and then that's how I learned how to play. I think the first song that I learned how to play was a it was a jazz song called It Isn't Necessarily So. just kind of went from one step to another, me changing instruments, uh, listening to the radio, uh, trying to play along with the radio, and then I kept on. I think my biggest challenge when I got to drums, because they wouldn't let you take the drums out of school. You know, so I was constantly, that that was probably, that was the instrument that became my favorite, drums. Okay, that was the first instrument. You know. I, I remember feeling good, you know, it was like, uh, probably whatever, I'm sure I had uh, emotions about the fact that, uh, I was unwanted. As Andre's proficiency on the drums grew, it became clear that he was something of a prodigy on the instrument. And soon, even before he was in his teens, local musicians from the neighborhood were inviting him to sit in with them on gigs. My first gig with drums was with a cat called Jack McDuff. He was a Organ player. I don't know if you ever heard of this is back in the day organ player, but he was one of the best.
I people used to they used to come and get permission from my mother so I could play on the weekends. You know, play I was playing drums with different artists. At the time I didn't know that a lot of these artists that I was playing with were famous, big big time people. You know, Grant Green, uh the guitar player. Liston Smith, he was one of the greats too. Uh, far as jazz now, I'm talking about now. Um, I was playing blues and jazz gigs at the beginning more. I played places where uh, they'd have to lay uh, boards down because the ground was uh, so muddy, you know, from, from the, the, it just wouldn't dry up. So they'd lay boards. So you go to the, we'd be playing these clubs that only this much away from looking like a shack. These are just different places I played from Philly, uh, all over, just different, you know, I'm, t I'm not talking about one particular place now. If you're talking about, just talking about what I did around home, then, you know, uh, I don't know, I played, when the cast came to get me for a gig, you know, I played, I played wherever, you know, wherever, wherever they had the gig, that's where I'd go. But that, those, I could consider them like home gigs. Anything from, around New York, Jersey, I consider those home gigs, you know. But like when I started going out like to like Ohio, you know, Washington or, you know, when I started going like away from the state of New York, then everything started to change. In the course of his travels as a teenage musician, Andre earned the nickname Youngblood and started building a reputation as a reliable drummer. This was how he met the Phoenix-based singer Arlister Dyke Christian, who had previously been a bass player in the OJ's backing band, but now was starting to rise as the frontman of his own new band, The Blazers. They'd already had an R&B hit in 1966 and 1967 with the record Funky Broadway. The funky, funky Broadway. And we're now moving on to record an album to capitalize on the success of the single. Andre joined Dyke and the Blazers in Phoenix, and then the band moved to Los Angeles, where they cut the funky Broadway LP at Original Sound Studio on Sunset Boulevard, before heading out on the road again. As it turned out, the high-profile Andre was afforded by his new status as a musician with a hit group ended up bringing his path to cross with a person he had not seen in years, his birth mother. We were appearing in Buffalo. Shoot, what the name of that club was? I do remember this. I remember uh, Rick James was 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 playing with uh, with this white group, uh, Paul Butterfield. Anyway, um, 
biological mother somehow got the word that I was playing and Dyke of the Blazers at the time was pretty big. They came there, they tried to showboat because now all of a sudden I was her son. <laughs> you know? So you know how that that well that played out. That didn't with me it didn't work, you know, like very well. I was very rude. I remember that, but I don't feel bad about it because, you know, um, what I got out of the whole situation is that it taught me if you really love somebody, you don't give a crap about if something's wrong with them or what they got. You know what I'm saying? If you If you're in love with that those people are you for real you really in love that that has nothing to do with it you know uh the loyalty that you have for a person it's not it's not loyalty if it goes away when the person get a problem it's like you cool today because you can walk all right and then uh a week from now something happened and you can't you you, you lost one leg completely so all these people that's been around you and want to so-called show that your friend, nah, you know, they kind of get loose, you know, far in between, right? That ain't no, that ain't no loyalty, that ain't no friend, they, they didn't, that is, that's bull, you know, and my feelings as a kid was, uh, get away from me, you know, and I was, I was a very rude and nasty kid back then, I, I won't even go into details about how nasty and rude I was, but believe me, it was unspeakable. But I feel it was proper because when I needed somebody to be there the most, you threw me away. Andre left Dyke and the Blazers soon after that due to internal conflicts within the band and ended up playing for an up-and-coming singing group from Philadelphia known as the Delphonics. This was years before they would achieve fame with silky champagne soul hits like La La Means I Love You and Ready or Not, Here I Come, Can't Hide from Love. By this time, the group was still trying to find their feet and they could only afford to pay their band a pittance. Young blood Andre couldn't abide the low wages and split back to L.A. where he hooked up with legendary R&B producer H.B. Barnum. Barnum installed him in a studio band called Sykes Company, also known as The Tribe. And then after that, Barnum put him into The Lords, another studio band from Boston that backed Lou Rawls and O.C. Smith. Andre also took various gigs, playing behind an array of artists from Carolyn Franklin to Sam and Dave. Uh, then I got involved with artists who were like playing in Vegas a lot. So that took me uh, into a different kind of era as far as music. Uh, the first cat, you see, the first cat I played with uh, in Vegas was Little Anthony Imperials.
then they had that they had the strip sold up. They were in Vegas all the time. You know, we played probably every club on the strip, you know, in Vegas. So that's how Andre Evans came to be in Vegas, sitting behind little Anthony and the Imperials, bored out of his mind as he kept the beat on MacArthur Park. He was a young man, and this was an era when young black musicians were letting their hair down. Andre soon left the Little Anthony and the Imperial show, much to the annoyance of Little Anthony, who wanted a permanent band and viewed Andre as a flighty opportunist. And Andre did not deny that his priority was to build up his own resume so that he could get work with bigger acts. So he started playing with other groups in Vegas, as well as around the United States and Europe. But he still felt unfulfilled, just as he had with Little Anthony. He wanted to play a different kind of music, and he found himself looking forward to the brief moments every night when he got to let loose. I played with some artists, and you know, when you play with somebody and you, you, you're playing, you're, you're is, the, is the same thing every night. So the thing that I like about that is that the band, they kind of monitor themselves on like the Tower Power Band, you know? So it was like really, when we had the chance, like before Tomorrow came out, what we had the chance to do was play, we, we played funk. These are the type of things that, that I think back then I was living for. After about two years of gigging, Andre decided to take some time off in Boston. As we said previously, Andre had played for a while with the Boston band The Lords, and he had passed through the city several times as a traveling musician. And he found himself coming back again and again, mainly because he had fallen in love with a girl there. Her name was Cindy, and she would become his wife and the inspirational force behind much of his music. The move to Boston did not mark new developments only in Andre's personal life. It also brought about a new era in his career as well. He was recruited by a producer named Gunther to play drums in a group called The Green Machine, who were recording material in anticipation of a deal with Atlantic Records. However, Andre ended up writing several songs for the album, which threw him into loggerheads with the group leader, Charles Green. Unable to come to a compromise with Green, Andre exited the Green Machine, but he maintained his relationship with the group's producer Gunther, and they teamed up to develop Andre's material as a separate act, recording the songs with Andre playing all the instruments in the studio and releasing the records under the name Evans Pyramid. What was the first tune you did with Evans Pyramid? Uh, never gonna leave.
Evans Pyramid also did shows. Originally, he did have his own permanent lineup of musicians, but then he started using the Boston funk band Hawkeye to stand in as Evans Pyramid during appearances. But the thrust of the band continued to revolve around Andre's work in the studio, where he had the freedom to embark upon various sonic experiments. Now, when I did Soul Petrol, I had met some girls uh, from Berkeley, violinists. And so at that time, I got the, I got the girls to come in. And guess who? I was in studio, I think I was in studio A and Maurice and the new edition was in Studio B, recording Candy Girl, I think it was. And I remember Maurice stopping in and, and saying that that was the first time he heard the rhythm section and, and violins put together that way. Uh, and this particular tune is, I, I call it a soul petrol. And uh, but those girls, and, and see, I only can play, I can only play little bits of violin. <laughs> you know, so I can only show, and these girls, and we talk about, these girls could really, these were real violinists, you know, but all I had to do was just, Stroke it a couple times and then hum the rest. They knew exactly. They knew exactly what I was talking about, and that's we laid it down. Watch 
Thing I remember big time about No I Won't is that I used double bass drums when I was playing for I think it was the first time in the studio that I used uh, a double bass drum sound. I don't even know today if anybody knows that's what they're listening to when they when they hear that those tracks. But on my bass drum I, I was actually using double foot pedals, double bass drum, you know. of that came from back when I used to, I, I had a couple of times where I, I ended up being able to see the show with Cream. I think Ginger Baker was trying to work on something, trying to figure a way that he could hook up three bass drums. So you know how crazy he was. But I think that always stuck in my head where I wanted to just try that. 
Andre has shown a continued interest in experimentation with production, but when it comes to actual songwriting, his approach is the diametrical opposite. Despite his background in jazz, he has an aversion to overly sophisticated harmony and intricate song structure, even moderately involved lyrics. His preferred format is a catchy but simple groove, hypnotic in its repetition, adorned with a basic vocal refrain. The best stuff that you're going to like is going to be the simple stuff. I used to listen to a, a, a lot of artists who felt that every time they did something, they had to have all these complimentary changes. But what I found out, it takes too long to get to the feel, to the groove. So why are you trying to show everybody else how intelligent you are musically? You're losing the feel. So I'm saying, I don't care whether you think I'm intelligent or not. I want to feel good. So I'm thinking, I want to feel good. So I'm feeling like I should be close to you and that's what you want to feel. You want to feel good. You don't give a shit about complicated, you know, making it, you know, proving everybody, well, uh, my knowledge stretches out that I can make these changes, all of these changes and come back to this place. The people that are listening to the song, they want to feel good. They want you to do something to bring them a good memory. And they don't give a shit about you going all the way around the mountain and then coming back when you could have just walk straight up the front we are forever tied we share our ups and downs when the storm comes we stand our ground when the smoke clears we're still here sometimes you do not know what you got until it's gone you are a part of me it is impossible to think of me without thinking of you. Without you, there would be no me. I have not forgot. You got my back. I will not betray that. You are a kind soul. You are my queen. You are my ambassador of hope. You are my angel of mercy. Mercy to those who are asleep. They do not know what they have. Until it's gone, I'm glad I'm awake. Back in 2014, my wife was upset with me for a second, because in 2014, I was about to give up. And um, so she, she was kind of upset with me. Wasn't, 
wasn't a good way for a second, you know, about that, you know, but but what I but what I learned is that no matter what I do, um, I got to be careful about how I talk about it because in the first place, if, if I do a song, I'm hoping that when you hear it, you'll like it and it'll make something and you feel good. Andre speaks often about his wife Cindy as his primary source of inspiration and comfort, his motivation to keep striving in the cold, cruel world of the music business. He speaks of the obstacles they overcame as an interracial couple in the 1970s and 80s, of her big heart and seemingly unlimited capacity for kindness, generosity, and forgiveness. When we had our initial conversation with Andre, Cindy was in the hospital battling a chronic illness. This was during the dog days of the COVID-19 pandemic, which prohibited Andre from visiting her. But they communicated daily via iPad and looked forward to her coming back home. Sadly, her return home was not to be. She passed away shortly after our interview.
That's beautiful. Um, many of my songs that people like didn't really make what I felt was big money. So I didn't, you know, I know I didn't have appreciation for it. You know who, I didn't get appreciation for my music until some years back when one of the cats with us, Big Mike, young kid, you know, he's young. So Big Mike had been listening to my music. So Big Mike heard me complaining about I, I made comments like, I don't know why anybody gives a F about this. It, it, it sucked. It didn't, I didn't make no money. It didn't make me no money. You know what I'm saying? So Big Mike said, man, you can't do that. He said, he said, look, he said, you, you got fans that you don't know about. You know, you, if anybody heard you talking and putting your stuff down like that, it makes them feel like you're, you're calling them fools because they like the stuff that the and the original creator of it is talking about it like it's shit. You know, you can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. So he kept telling me this stuff, right? I, then one day he brought me, and because he's good on the computer, he he brought me in, to his computer and he showed me a whole bunch of stuff on me that I had no idea about. And I said, oh shoot. From that moment on, I, I shed my mouth. I said, say no, say no more. The embrace of Evans Pyramid by club DJs and record collectors in recent years has led Andre Evans to reevaluate a lot of his past work that he had previously overlooked. And now he believes that Evans Pyramid is not just a facet of his past, but a legacy that he is pushing towards the future. He's created a new lineup for Evans Pyramid with younger artists that he mentors, such as the award-winning Boston rapper L Product. Spell L Product, L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T, the letter L. Well, now with Evans Pyramid, that um, Andre grabbed a few younger guys, you know, to help him out along what he's doing. He's basically opening doors for me. But um, what I like about it is he, he got it set up. So, like, if there's a show and they want us overseas... I want to be able to gravitate to his fans and say, okay, if Andre can't make it, I'll come over there and represent for him if y'all willing to accept me. You know what I mean? And now that Andre's taking things to another level with his career now and bringing me, it's moving kind of fast for me, but I'm learning like I got to organize and deal with it because I feel this is about to be something great. I see the market now, so I see what people want to do. Any way I can help you or any way I can bring in my style or bring in my fans to your fans and collaborate, let's do it. And I notice I've been picking up ever since. So I commend you, man. I, you know, I always tell you. Oh, man. You, <laughs> told you. You know, you like, you, you, you like the, give them all this song, man. Formation, the new generation, she's in a higher class, high man. 
fitness on the scale. Cutie with a booty with a rough ride appeal. We moving on, love lusting from head to toe. She could pick them out the crowd like eat, need me, need mighty mo. She got the voice of seduction, relationship corruption. You look in her eyes, you might get hypnotized. Body pitch to make the frame. She reads game, and it's hard to make the change. Cause she got it like that. And she moving it on her own, cause she bought it like that. Independent doing the thing, cause she got it like that. Hair and nails running the game, cause she got it like that. She got it like that. She got it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's about it for the story of Heaven's Pyramid and this installment of Cultures of Soul podcast. Do yourself a favor and check out the new music from Evans Pyramid and also do check out the old music from Evans Pyramid. The amazing compilation, Evans Pyramid 1978 to 1994, is available from Cultures of Soul, so definitely get into some of that. It was so nice to spend this time with you and hopefully uh, we get a chance to share another musical story sometime soon. Again, my name is Uchenna Ikone and... Let's keep on keeping this soul thing alive, all right? Can't get lost up, yeah, by her candy-coated eyes. In the body moves the world, body can't hide it. Same way you trying to recite it. She got the book smarts with the brains. Sitting right here trying to wonder about the game. She got it on point. She got everything her own, because she does it on her own. It's turning me on. I'm sitting right here with this girl right here. Got it on. A nice complexion. Beautiful sitting right here.